listeners, and welcome to Monsters Advocate. Monsters Advocate is a bi-weekly podcast focused around the unsung heroes of myths and legends, the monsters. We'll take a look at some monster-centric myths and legends, some not-so-ancient cryptids, and everything in between, and try to sort out possible origin species, biological impetus for why they do what they do, and why we love to hear about them. Sometimes there's nothing you can do. The frustrating thing about being alive is that things are just always happening, often with very little consideration for the lives both big and small that are affected by them. Sometimes the things that happen are small, like spilling coffee on your shirt right before work, or the bus arriving late. Sometimes the things are not so small, and the lives affected by them are left to pick up the pieces, to wonder how and why this could have happened. In times like that, it's very human to wonder if things could have been different, if only there had been a sign. Today, let's meet some of the monsters that have been that sign. Let's meet the Harbingers. Our first stop on our intercontinental road trip of disasters is Point Pleasant, West Virginia. From 1966 to 1967, temporary home of the man, the moth, the legend. Mothman. Before we get too far into Mothman's year-long vacation in West Virginia, let's just quickly address the elephant in the room. Elephant, did you have anything to do with Mothman's name? Because I gotta say, as far as cryptid names go, Mothman is a surprisingly unliteral name for this monster. Described by witnesses as anywhere from gray-white to brown to black in color, this creature's best-described features are its glowing red eyes and feathered wings, features that thankfully very few moths or men have in common. This creature is usually described as more owl-like in appearance, with sharp talons, propensity for swooping, and nocturnal encounters all playing significant roles in the eyewitness accounts of the creature. Sadly, Owlman is already taken by a British monster called the Owlman of Monan, so for now Mothman will have to do. As I mentioned before, Mothman first showed up in Point Pleasant, West Virginia in 1966. It was November, and the first people to witness the creature were five men tasked with the job of digging a grave near Clendenin, West Virginia. The men were taking a break from digging, and on looking around at the surrounding wooded area, one of the men pointed to a large brown bird perching in a tree. After being spotted, the creature suddenly lifted off from the tree and flew low over the men's heads. And then they realized that the animal was not anything at all they were familiar with, but rather a man-like figure. This is generally agreed upon as being the first sighting of Mothman in West Virginia, and in the following years over 100 witnesses reported encounters with a human-sized winged creature with talons and glowing red eyes. During Mothman's vacation in Point Pleasant in the surrounding areas, it was actually a fairly bad tourist, spending the majority of its time spooking couples in cars, pursuing a few of the aforementioned cars at 100 miles per hour, trespassing, and in one instance, eating someone's German Shepherd. This misbehavior ended, though, on December 15th, 1967, when the Mothman was seen one last time before the collapse of the Silver Bridge, which sadly resulted in the deaths of 46 people. 
Quite a lot of supernatural activity was actually happening in the area at the time, including the appearance of an entity calling itself Ingrid Cold and several UFOs. But due to Mothman's proximity to the disaster and its disappearance shortly thereafter, it is the creature most associated with the event. And perhaps that's not a coincidence. In 1986, almost 20 years after the collapse of the Silver Bridge, residents of a town named Pripyat in the Soviet Union began reporting an unusually large black bird flying in the skies over both their town and the town next to it. The creature never approached anyone, but witnesses who reported the man-sized flying creature began suffering nightmares. A few of the people working in the nearby town even saw the unusual creature hovering over their place of work, a recently constructed nuclear power plant. Several days later, an explosion occurred during a routine test of Reactor 4, and the people of the town suddenly had more pressing matters to concern themselves with than the Blackbird of Chernobyl. The most recent account of a flying humanoid matching Mothman's description was in 2007. In July of 2007, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, reports began coming in of a flying humanoid appearing around a bridge on Interstate 35. A month later, the bridge collapsed without warning, killing 13 people and injuring 145. This was a horrible tragedy, as were they all and I in no way intend to make light of these tragedies. That being said, though, if the reports are to be believed, perhaps what we have not to fear is the Mothman itself, but what it will mean when we see it again. A monster that takes its harbinging job a little more literally is the Nain Rouge, a legendary creature born from the interaction of French and Algonquin mythology around the 1880s in the area of North America now known as Detroit, Michigan. The Nain Rouge is one of several monsters, such as the Loup Garou, that we can see relatively queer ancestors for. The early French colonists of the 1880s had a belief in a household spirit called a lutine. Similar to the English brownie, these spirits, if properly appeased, served and brought good fortune to a household, but if not appeased, were just as likely to cause mischief. In Algonquin mythology, a popular folklore hero was Nana Bush, a trickster hero that was associated with hares, and sometimes depicted using red pigment. It's not unreasonable to assume that at some point in the interaction of these cultures, the two characters became entwined leading to the creation of the Nain Rouge. So what is this creature, and what does it do? Well, it kind of depends on who you ask. The Nain Rouge is generally described as a red, sometimes black or red furred, small humanoid, with sharp teeth and blazing eyes. It's said to appear before catastrophe, and how often you encounter a catastrophe can largely depend on how you treat the Nain Rouge if you do encounter it. Legend has it that the original founder of Detroit, Antoine de la Muth Cadillac, was warned by a fortune teller that if he wanted to avoid personal catastrophe, he should make every effort to flatter and appease the Nain Rouge, should he cross paths with it. One day, 
as he was walking with his wife, a small red man appeared in their path, confronting the couple with dazzling eyes and teeth. Apparently completely forgetting what the word flattery means, Cadillac struck the creature with his cane, shouting, Get out of my way, you red imp! Personally, I would have complimented his apparently beautiful teeth and eyes, but, you know, I'm old-fashioned. The Nain Rouge, apparently not impressed by Cadillac's compliment, disappeared after the strike, and Cadillac later died back in France after being imprisoned and losing his entire fortune. Larger-scale events the Nain Rouge has appeared before include the Battle of Bloody Run, after which the Detroit River literally ran red with blood, the surrender of Detroit in the War of 1812, the 1805 fire, and the 1967 Detroit riot. 1967 was apparently a very busy year for monsters. Most recently, in 1965, two DTE workers were working on a utility pole when they spotted what they thought was a child climbing another utility pole. They began to call in for emergency services, but soon after being spotted, the child jumped to the top of the pole and suddenly vanished right in front of the men's eyes. Soon after, a particularly brutal snowstorm crippled the city for weeks. As in the case of Mothman, many people believe the Nain Rouge itself is to blame for these disasters. Allegedly, after the Battle of Bloody Run in 1763, the Nain Rouge was spotted dancing among the corpses along the riverbanks. In 2010, Detroit established an annual parade called the March du Nain Rouge, in which participants dress up in costume and chase the Nain Rouge out of the city. Participants are encouraged to wear a different costume each year to prevent the Nain from seeking any personal vengeance. But is this really the best way to handle Detroit's legendary creature? In 2011, a small group organized by a man named John E. L. Tenney began a counter-protest movement, holding signs that say, Stop Nain Shame and Don't Dread the Red, at the march. Since then, they also arrive annually, counter-protesting the treatment of the Nain. And they have a point, not just because they're advocating for monsters, but because chasing the Nain out of the city each year completely misses the point. If you want to avoid catastrophe, you need to appease the name, not hit it with a stick. It is, after all, a descendant of a household protector, so it's not unreasonable that it's simply doing its job of trying to warn people, but having a little fun with it. Just because you're red and have sharp teeth, that doesn't make you any less valid. All I'm saying is, Next year, let's do the march, but call it 2019, and maybe bring the Nain Rouge flowers or something. It's doing its best. Our last creature is the Banshee, the classic harbinger of personal disasters. The Banshee is an Irish creature whose name translates to Woman of the Fairy Mound. Unlike in popular portrayals, a Banshee is most often actually attached to a particular family or clan and may appear to a person of that family as a young woman with red hair and a pale complexion, dressed in a green dress and a gray veil. The woman will appear wailing, weeping, or keening, and according to legend, 
Before mail, this creature's cry was sometimes the first way a family would learn a death had happened in the extended family. Again, unlike in popular portrayals, the banshee is described as being beautiful, and as having a beautiful keening voice that sounds more mournful than any other sound on earth. Keening is an important part of traditional Irish mourning, so important that sometimes people would hire professional keeners for their funeral. It should come as no surprise, then, that if one did happen to see a whole group of banshees keening, it meant that someone very important was about to die. In some accounts, a banshee may try to warn a family member of their impending death by appearing to them and wailing, but oftentimes, they are unsuccessful in preventing the death. If you're worried that you won't have a creature to foretell your eventual death to your family members because you aren't Irish, though, don't worry. There's plenty of mysterious, mournful women to go around. In Scottish folklore, a creature called the Little Washerwoman will appear to any witch person who is about to die, washing their bloody clothing or armor in the nearest body of water. This may sound like a silly way to warn someone they're about to die, but if you saw someone washing your bloody clothes at the laundromat while crying, I guarantee you would probably be sufficiently worried for your own safety. If washing clothes isn't your thing, though, well, there's always the Hag of the Mist. A Welsh creature, the Hag of the Mist is the closest to what people think of when they think of modern-day banshees, in that she appears as an old woman with wild hair, withered arms ending in leathery wings, long black teeth, and a pale complexion. She's actually the only one in this episode that I wouldn't actually consider a harbinger so much as a direct shortener of life, as her preferred methods of informing a person they are about to die is standing under their windowsill at night and shrilly calling their name, or traveling invisibly beside a person who is about to die and shrieking whenever they approach a stream or a crossroads. But hey, if you die from fright, she's still technically right in saying that you would die, isn't she? That's going to do it this week for Harbingers of Disaster. If you like this episode, I encourage you to turn on a porch light to attract Mothman, and then read him the show notes. Intro and outro music, as well as musical score, were done by resident Harbinger of good times, Scott Effington. Find more music to impress Banshees with at bazookaraccoon at soundcloud.com. Finally, if you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes, or consider donating to our Patreon. Every little bit helps, and more support means I'm more motivated to do the best job I can to bring you more monsters. Thank you for listening, and remember, anyone can be a monster. <laughs>